All right, ladies and gentlemen, in case you have not realized it, in addition to me being very red, which is a problem of my camera, and we'll figure that out in just a moment, this is not a typical broadcast tonight. Our normal Wednesday night broadcast does not operate tonight because we have guests with us. We have Nick and Pam Cisco, missionaries from Ghana and now going to South Africa. And thankfully, I am no longer red. I don't know what happened with my camera. But anyway, it's good to see everyone tonight. Welcome to our digital campus and to our broadcast. And we are so excited. We love missionaries. We consider them to be heroes in our midst. And so we welcome Nick and Pam to our broadcast tonight. If this is your first time with us, we welcome you. And uh, let me very quickly tell you that at any point, you can find out a whole lot more about us by going to our website, newarkupc.info. And if you go there, you can find out all kinds of information. And also one of the things that you can do there is partner with us in giving. And we'll talk a little bit more about that because tonight your partnership will actually be with Nick and Pam as they go to the country of South Africa. So you've already seen their intro video. And uh, if you don't realize this, uh, I first met Nick and Pam when they came on their first deputation. They were newly married. I believe that you had Pam uh, one baby or was yeah, it, huh? it was one baby and uh, they stayed in Caleb's room, the room that from other broadcasts you all know about his snoring and the puppets and all that. Well, that was the room. Pam lost a pair of nice high-heeled shoes under that bed, and we had to get them back to her for conference in Toronto. So they stayed in my home, and then many years passed, and they, we partnered with them faithfully over those years, and God did great work in Ghana. And then more recently, last year, 2019, I spent time in their home, and uh, I don't think I lost any high-heeled shoes, Pam. I think I took all my shoes home. And uh, mm -hmm. we, in our last missions trip, were in Ghana, and then we traveled over to Nigeria as well and traveled up both in Lagos and also in Enugu and then returned back to Ghana. And I have to say, while I didn't lose any high-heeled shoes, I did get dropped at the airport, and I have a grudge, Nick. I, I'm telling you right now, there was something <laughs> up with our tickets going to Nigeria. I told them <laughs> what I had done. And Nick says, oh, you'll be fine, like any veteran missionary would. He drops me at the airport at Ghana. He heads back home to do whatever he was doing. And it was a nightmare. And I still, you'll never admit it. I know it. But I am convinced you knew I was in trouble. And you were like, I'm going to let this boy just handle himself. He's been to Africa several times. He needs to learn how to handle it. And we did handle it. We got to Nigeria. We did. But... I am still convinced you knew what was up. Anyway, <laughs> so we have a long history. This church and our family has a long history with Nick and Pam, um, but it's been great to get back into direct contact. And uh, we did teach a course over there for uh, yeah. the Bible school there and for the instructors and the ministers and the leadership in Ghana uh, last year. And so why don't we start, Nick and Pam, with, with the story of of your transition from Ghana. So you have spent, as the video said, a lot of years, in fact, the bulk of your appointed missionary time has been in the country of Ghana and you've done yes. mentorship and you've done leadership training. You've built children's ministry. You've, you've left Ghana and I've been there. You left Ghana with strong leadership. And uh, so talk a little bit about transitions. 
Um, where did this come from? You know, I, and I will say one more thing and then be quiet and let you go, which is I was in their home and I wondered why Nick kept talking to me about South Africa and it was no details. I didn't have anything, but he just would talk about South Africa. And so it was with amusement when I got an email after returning back home a few months later saying, okay, now I can tell you we're going to South Africa. And I went, oh, that's why Nick was talking about South Africa. So how'd this come about? Yeah, well, you use the word transition. And I think transitions are a part of everyone's life and ministry. And uh, some transitions are intentional and well laid out. Others are more uh, unplanned and you kind of flow with it and roll with it. And that was really the case with this transition from Ghana to South Africa. I would use the word blindsided. <laughs> <laughs> so you, didn't, you didn't see it coming, huh, Pam? No. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, the bulk of our missions ministry has been in Ghana. We were just going along, enjoying life. We were in our sweet spot, uh, very comfortable. The kids were raised there. Um, Alana was just shy of three years old, and Stephen was 11 months old when we went there, and uh, Stephen's 16 and Alana's 18, so like that's home for our family, and so, you know, with uh, the responsibilities in Ghana as well as West Africa Area Coordinator, and really I had told Pam uh, you know, I'm just finding my rhythm as the area coordinator for West Africa. I believe we've got synergy. Um, you know, everyone ha has bought into where we're going. And it happened on January 2018 while I was in St. Louis for some meetings. And that evening I went out with our regional director. Uh, it was his birthday. And towards the end, he said, there's something I would like you and Sister Pam to pray about and consider. I said, well, what's that? He's like, well, would you pray and consider changing fields to South Africa and then becoming the area coordinator for South Central Africa? Well, as Pam said, that was the blind side. I was like, um... Okay. We just really laughed it off, kind of. <laughs> well, I I went back to, to Ghana. I told Pam, like, basically the first thing I said when we, I got home, we laughed about it. And then, honestly, we forgot about it. Life happened. Didn't really pray. Was back into ministry going. And it was then a year later, a little over a year. And you know Brother Adams a bit. I do. He's, I do. He's, I mean, one of the finest Christians you're going to meet, but very intentional. And he doesn't just say things to say things. So I, it was a little over a year later, he said on a phone conversation with me, he said, I'm not pressuring you, but I'm just trying to get some feedback here. Had you had time to pray about it and to think about it. So and as far as he brought it up a second time, we thought, you know what? We better pay attention to this. All right. So, so I'm going to ignore the fact that we're on a live broadcast. Did you tell him right then? No, I haven't prayed about it at all. <laughs> you know what? I did. I, I actually apologize. I said, you know what, sir? I am so sorry. I did not 
give it serious prayer. Life happened. It went on the back burner and got forgotten. But I told them, I said, I assure you, in the next two weeks, you will hear from me. It will become our focused prayer and reflection. And so it did. And what happened over the next week, really, God clearly communicated to us that he was in this. And, uh, you know, as, as a husband, as a father, I'm like, you do know God, like South Africa is really dangerous. The crime rate is high there. We feel very comfortable and safe in Ghana. We have our network when I travel, Pam's okay. Yeah, our kids could jump in taxis right. over if they wanted to. You know, we felt comfortable with that. And then yes, I folks just, that folks that know my and Regina's travel, Ghana is a world of difference from Nigeria. And so I'm, yeah. I'm imagining that South Africa, while it's probably not Nigeria, it's more akin to Nigeria than it is to, to Ghana in the sense of that safety net. Is that a fair statement? Uh, With the safety net, it's, it's, it's one of the most developed countries in Africa. Maybe the, you'd compare it to like a big city in the States, like, I don't know, Chicago or something. As, yeah, as, as far as the development, you have that. Um, but the despair or the gap between the rich and the poor is one of the most extreme in the world. Okay. So technically, from an economical point of view, it would be actually a third world country. But when you go there, you wouldn't think that because it's so developed. It has everything. But economically, the gap is so big between the two groups. Um, but you know what? God gave peace. God assured me, and I wrote something down here because God reminded me that he can certainly keep us from the danger um, that we are nervous about as long as we seek to walk in line with God's word. And God just reminded me that, you know, my word, my purpose will create a wall of protection around you and your family as you walk in peace. And that just you know, really the best response at this point is from that moment till now, we're following the path of peace. You know, perfect peace have they whose minds are stayed on Absolutely. God. And uh, we don't really have all, all of the, the picture of how everything's going to fall in place because our exploratory trip in March was called off four hours before we were to leave Ghana because of this surge and this development of COVID. And had we went down then, we actually would have got caught in South Africa and would not have been able to get out. So, uh, but I'm in regular communication with the superintendent there on a monthly basis, and we're excited about it. But and it did blindside us. We have been to South Africa multiple times because mm. it's the hub for all international travel um, in, the in the southern part, for sure. And so various activities with global missions for the continent of Africa has taken place in South Africa. And of course we did five years, well I did five, Nick did four in Botswana, which is just above South Africa. So we have driven across the border multiple times to Johannesburg. So we're not unfamiliar with the country. And yes, the safest place is in the will of God. <laughs> Absolutely. So talk yeah. for a moment before we turn to, to South Africa, which is where you're headed to, uh -huh. where your, your, your deputation, your projects, things we're going to talk about tonight, uh, your mission work going forward. But let me ask one follow-up question to you, which is, all right, so 
you, um, Brother Adams asks you a question. It goes on to the back burner. You, you, don't, you don't dedicate much time to it. And, and I totally get when, you, when, you're, when we're in a comfortable place, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes it takes a blind side to knock us out of, out of the comfort <laughs> zone, if you will. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I, I don't even think we lack faith when we're in that comfort place. God understands we get into a group. We're even doing good things. Um, mm -hmm. But if his will is taking us in another direction, then he sometimes has to side shot us, if you will, and kind of yeah. kind of ricochet. So that happens at the beginning of 2019. Uh, and so by you're saying by March of 2019, February, March of 2019, you're starting to realize, OK, there's a transition happening here. Well, 20 January 2018 is when he asked. We right. forgot it for a year. So, yeah, then 2019, he comes back. We're thinking, whoa. And then, yeah, we're realizing this is something. So then, you know, we have to go through the process of uh, presenting that and uh, the application for change of field. And so the official approval actually came this past February 4th from the Global Missions Board meeting that yes, the change of field was accepted. And then, uh, I became the area coordinator for South Central when the current one retired this past August. So that was the transition as far as that secondary role. So, so I guess from the time the question was asked till it happened, you're looking at two years. Right. And so were you able to share with the church in Ghana that the transition was coming before you had to come home? Those of you that don't know, Pam and, and, and uh, Nick were basically given a chance to get airlifted out or get get repatriated back to Canada. They are yeah. both Canadians uh, because of COVID. So things escalated, went faster. In fact, our Connections Pastor Desi Lugo and myself were supposed to be coming there in yeah. June. And that, of course, of this past year, that, of course, went went away. And, and at the same time, they got brought home. So there was a lot of scramble in 2020. If you all think <laughs> that we experienced it in North America, well, imagine that you're overseas and you know you're coming home for a deputation, but then everything gets escalated. So were you able to talk to the church in Ghana about it? Was this, how did that transition element happen? Or, or yeah, operate? great, great question. And uh, first of all, it was a six day transition. So that is escalation on steroids. We yes, it is. Six days to pack mm -hmm. a house, sell everything. But uh, thankfully the, the church was aware because I had spoken confidentially to the superintendent in December that look this is what's in the pipeline we don't know if it's going to be a hundred percent but I want you to know in advance so he was praying with us when it became official in February then in March actually uh, he informed the board and then we informed the council because we had a minister's refresher course um, Unfortunately, that was right around the time when COVID really reared its head. So the church was informed, but we really didn't have any opportunity to say goodbyes. There was supposed to be a send-off. Um, originally, it was going to be over Easter, I think. No, the no. Fortresses were coming out of Easter. Everything got canceled. I, anyway, because of COVID, it got canceled. So there was no send-off. So that was a bit uh, rough, really, because there's not that closure. And after investing 
two decades basically. And then within six days, you're, you're getting rid of your rental house, having a walkthrough, getting rid of everything, trying to say some goodbyes. We were in the middle of multiple projects that I had a bunch of money because I wasn't leaving till July anyway. And all of a sudden I'm leaving. So that, that last night was interesting. I didn't sleep. I, after we got everything taken care of, I was finalizing disbursements after I closed bank accounts and was counting money and putting it in envelopes. And then uh, you would remember Robert. He had yes. kind of evolved into uh, my administrative assistant. And I left him with the money and said, I'm, at, I'm going to the airport at 2 a.m. tomorrow morning. So the next day, just take this to the office and disperse it to the Bible school so these projects can get done. And he, he did that. And this would have we been the month of June? This would have been the month of June? Is that? May. It was May. Yeah. May 18th, because we left May 19th. Yeah, our quarantine was the end of May and into June. So, right. but yeah, in six days, we sold all of the big stuff in our house because we're changing fields. So that's everything. That's we sold everything in the AIM apartment, our SFC vehicle. <laughs> um, we rehomed our dogs. You know, Alana's in oh, her graduation. Oh, doggies year. are gone. I love the dog. Yeah, she said goodbye as best she could. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, originally, so you're originally, we were not going to see Pam and the kids when we came in the latter part of June because right. they would have already been gone. The original plan was earlier right. in June and then you were staying through July. So you all came home together then. Is that what happened? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because that was the last flight. They said, if you don't take it, then sit tight until international flights open up. We were like, been long, uh, there's been a long time coming. Yes, sir. Yeah, at first, we really wasn't paying a lot of attention to it because we didn't really realize how long it would be. And then as it progressed a bit, we thought, you know what, this could go on into, yeah, December into the new year. I said, we'd best be on that flight. <laughs> so it was scrambling, but it was needful. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And Canada is doing better with COVID. So you guys may have been able to get home quicker. If you're, if you were uh, part of the United States, yes, you, if you hunkered down, you were hunkered down for a long time and we still are in that place. All right. So let's transition from that and, and all the, of the, you can see the hand of God even working in the midst of that, even the timing of things and the knowledge and understanding. Um, and so now you're headed to a country that as Pam, you noted that you're not unfamiliar with, you've traveled there many times, but now it's going to be a new home and it's even a new time. Cause am I right? Alana is not going back. Yeah. Even <laughs> First kids? year university. Right. So it's a new family configuration and a new field, et cetera. So talk a little bit about South Africa, your vision, your time, things that you would add beyond your, beyond your video. And here you can start sharing with us vision and projects and, and, and kind of the burden of the new field. We've partnered with you now with in Ghana for uh, greater than two decades. Yeah. yeah. So now we're headed to South Africa with us. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, well, um, we are excited about what God's going to do. And since we've never really lived in South Africa, the first step is to really discover, discover 
the heartbeat of the leadership, their vision, where they're going. And so there's really three words that uh, encapsulates our transition there. And that's to discover, discern, and then direct. And, you know, so figure out what their vision is, then discern our role. What is it in, in partnership that God has with us to come alongside and we just exchange knowledge and giftings and skill sets so the kingdom of God in South Africa moves forward. And that's where the direction will come very clearly. Um, we do feel specifically that um, God, not just in South Africa, but the entire sub-region, we know that unity is the key. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we are unified in vision, in purpose and mission there's really absolutely nothing that you cannot accomplish and when you look at south africa as a nation they're not that far removed from apartheid and that you know the segregation of groups of people you know ethnicity of race and and um i believe it was 1994 when that really ended and so you're not that far from it. And so you've got still the, that undercurrent. But uh, our prayer is that love would reign and that unity would prevail. And we know yeah, God's going to do something. Racism, it takes, well, any sin, but racism is, takes generations to be unwound. Um, yeah. I mean, all we've yeah. got to do is look at the United States, for example, my particular context and what we're still trying to unravel something several hundred years later that we simply didn't deal with at the at the beginning. And then there's been iterations of it and we're still trying to unravel it. So I can only imagine when something has officially come to a close in 1994. Yeah, all of that, of course, time. affects the church. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got some time left to go of just time because some things can't be rushed. And uh, so what a challenge uh, you all face. What a great couple to go there and, and, and model um, what it is that God intends for us all. It's a bold move, yeah. global missions. <laughs> and you know, uh, God's the master chess player, right? Yes, he is. And it's, it's like, wow, because formerly, um, you know, I had served from 2007 till uh, end of 2018 as the, the Bible School Coordinator for Africa under what is called Global Association of Theological Studies. And that allowed me to travel in many of those countries in South Central Africa, doing training and equipping their Bible School teachers in South Africa. Um, in Zimbabwe, in Zambia, in Iswatini. So at least they know of me. You know, there's that connection. Now they're like, okay, so he's coming to live, but it's not like I'm a foreign ent entity with no history at all. Absolutely. There is a history. Yeah. And they're, you know, and so we're believing that uh, God was just laying things out. And so I'm really looking forward to partnering with them. I mean, the leaders that I do know and the friendships I have developed over the years with some of them, huh, we're talking like world-class 
leaders. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the things I can learn from them. And then by the grace of God, what he wants Pam and I to deposit into the work there so that, um, you know what, evangelization, discipleship, and still those focuses that we mentioned on the video is really it. Leadership development, as you know, is, is paramount. Absolutely. Uh, and, and mentoring, without mentoring, there is no apostolic succession. And I do believe and agree that, yeah, it, it, it takes generations, humanly speaking, to remove that racism. I mean, it's, it's a terrible concept and whole ideology. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure we have generations now left, you know. Um, so I believe that God is at work and, and the sovereignty of God is, is at work. And I think we're going to see the grace of God which is always enough for every situation. But to me, that suggests that the grace will increase where it's needed in order for it to be sufficient. Absolutely. So I think we're going to see that sufficient grace operate in ways that I don't think we've imagined or seen to date to accomplish the purpose that God has for that country and for that subregion. Is South Africa nationalized? It is. Uh, for a moment, briefly, what that means for anybody that's listening to our broadcast of the difference, you know, missionary goes to a field that is, that is a new field that we have no churches in, and then over time it grows, and then we reach a point, I used a term, a technical term of nationalized. What, is, what does that mean? Talk about that a little bit, Nick. Absolutely. So that means where a leader from the country now becomes the voice of authority as the superintendent over that work. So they are a nationalized work. They have been a nationalized work for decades. And so what that looks like in a practical way is even for Pam and I to come to South Africa, it was not just global missions saying, we're going to send you there. It was Brother Adams as the regional director approaching first the superintendent and saying, uh, we believe that it's the will of God that, that the Cisco's come there, but we're not assuming that. The Cisco's are praying about it. We're now presenting the direction we believe God is leading to you, and we need your approval. He then said, I personally am in favor of this, but I need to take it to the national board for them to approve this. So, so there was a, a, a gap there for us to just see how the process would be played out. Now, we had peace in our spirit. So honestly, I was at peace and, and was confident, but you had to let time play out the process. It went to the national board. It was approved. It was at that point that Brother Adams could then take it to the Global Missions Board and present that because now the nationalized work had opened the door. Had they not done that, you just can't walk in and say, hey, um, I'm a missionary with the United Pentecostal <laughs> Church and I'm here to help. Well, we don't remember asking for help. Right. And so this truly isn't even asking for help as much as it is God who's over everything, orchestrating a partnership and both sides discerning that, yeah, this is a God thing. This is a partnership 
So let's come alongside each other, walk together. I know they're going to be a blessing to us uh, to help me and my leadership perspectives. And then our prayers that we will help them. But nationalized work means they're in charge. We advise, suggest, come alongside, but it is a partnership. So we will work uh, as far as the authority in that country as a missionary to the level that we are empowered by the national work. And this is not unfamiliar to you, correct? Because Ghana has been nationalized for some time as well, correct? And, and that's the amazing thing. You know, God prepares his people, right? And Ghana was nationalized in 2006. We arrived as a family in Ghana in 2005. So we watched the transition and then worked through it, grew with the work. And uh, I, in fact, uh, earlier today, I was talking to the national superintendent in Ghana. We're going back and forth on some things uh, in this transition where we're leaving. And uh, I was thanking him and he was like, you know, we just want to say thank you. You've really helped us. You, you've served us well. You've come alongside of us. And, and that was just very encouraging to hear. It's a really great question because a lot of times the North American church thinks that missionaries go in and we're always the big boss, so to speak, you know, but, uh, and that used to maybe be the way in the pioneer days, That's right. but missions has really evolved. We've been in global missions for a long time. So now you're starting to see a lot more nationalized works mm -hmm. and you need missionaries who are sensitive and can go in and yeah, partner, um, and our church should know that the goal of missions is to establish an autonomous work. It is not a work that is still dependent upon the North American church. And I think pioneering, Pam, is a great word. I, I think even when we plant churches, that's the challenge. A pioneer does things in a certain manner out of necessity. It's a certain personality, etc. And if there is not transition, as the church moves forward in maturity, then it can be disruptive. But as there is transition, then it can move into that, that next phase. So it's exciting for me to hear that while you're heading into a culturally still very charged and challenging environment, you're still going into an environment of the church where there is an invitation, there's a partnership. Uh, it's not right. adversarial. And that's, that's a good environment to do good work together in. Um, it is. And even as area coordinator, um, if I'm just counting in my head correctly here, six of the 11 countries in South Central Africa are nationalized works. Okay. So even though I'm an area coordinator, so an extension of the regional director, you're still going into a nationalized work and it's all really about partnership. Absolutely. So what are the projects? Part of the things that we do with you as missionaries is obviously we pray. And, uh, and those prayers are important. And we pray most of the time without knowledge because things are happening on the ground. We don't know what's happening. But in addition to prayer, and, and I know you missionaries always ask for prayer first and foremost, but uh, we need some money too. And, and I said that, I didn't, you didn't say that, but it, money is important. Money is a part of the process. And so what are some of the projects that, that we are, looking to partner with you on. And as, as you're getting ready to answer that, let me share my screen very quickly. And uh, I'm going to show everybody that if you would like to, it's very simple. All you've got to do is go to our website 
And uh, you see there, Nick, I queued up 100,000. I don't know if somebody's going to give you 100,000. But you can see <laughs> there the little tab, Missionaries Nick and Pam Cisco. And so all you've got to do is when you go to Rebel Give, Digital Giving in this COVID season, just click there and it will go to Nick and Pam. And so church, I'm asking you, you would to begin praying even as you're listening now as we're getting ready to come into questions and that to the to the burden to to the needs and that so what are some of the needs that that South Africa has that we can partner with the Cisco's on absolutely so um South Africa and the sub-region South Central um one is building fun and the building fun project is all about coming along churches uh, especially in the countries where there's not missionaries and they're in a building project, they maybe need help putting on a roof or maybe they poured the foundation, but they need help putting up the walls or even they purchased the land, but they need the documentation and you know <laughs> the importance of getting the documentation. So it's all about um, evaluating where they are, and then we're able to be the funnel, really, the extension of the generosity of the North American church to say, okay, we can help you with the documentation or the walls or the roof. And so for the next four years, our target that's remaining for the building fund is $18,600. Uh, and that would be over the uh, term that we'll serve. Okay. And then a second one that's a big one um, is helps us be more effective. And so some who are watching could be conscious of the enormity of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the DRC. Huge country. It's a French-speaking country. Uh, you know, they've been in war and, you know, unrest for decades, sadly. Uh, their road system is pretty much obsolete so you got to fly you know from the south to the north it's very very difficult to travel by road um you've got angola that's portuguese and french it's right beside the drc but uh it's really not a wise thing for them to drop me into drc and all i can say is bonjour comment ça va <laughs> and the immigration officer's talking to me and i'm just like hey bonjour comment ça va so We've got to do language study. So I'm, uh, you know, conversing. I, I can converse in French. I can interact. And then I'll build off of that, you know, get the Bible language, can go into those countries that are French speaking and even teach and communicate in French, which we all know communicating in the main language that everyone can understand is a lot more effective. Absolutely. And so the, so the, project for that is actually $11,000 to do the whole training program and yeah all of that so I was talking to uh sister Leanne Grant which you may know up in Quebec who's yeah so I asked her for advice and where because we were planning to go into the immersion program in Quebec City where you stay right there mm -hmm. for two to three months but with COVID we can't do that but she said, well, there are still online options through a university up here. I said, okay, perfect. And so 11,000 is, yeah. So those are the two big ones. Uh, even amidst the challenges of deputizing with COVID, which um, I've, outside of New Brunswick, I traveled for two weeks in British Columbia, and that was not even part of my original schedule. 
but uh, I, I couldn't travel to the States. So uh, the, the District of British Columbia said, well, if you want to come out here, we can give you services for two weeks. I said, all right, I'll come out. So I went out there and came back at the quarantine for two weeks. I was supposed to go to Ontario. I couldn't because of things surging with COVID up there. Um, so we've been here and have done some services like we're doing tonight. Uh, but in spite of that, here's what we felt God impressed in our spirit in September. That with our projects, and we have eight projects, I shared two of them with you tonight. Out of the eight, four are already complete. Two, there's just awesome. a bit remaining. And then these two bigger ones. But we felt God impress us that he's going to give us 100% of our projects in 100 days. Now, the 100th day is Tuesday, December 22nd. All so right. we're on the home stretch. All right. Uh, we're, we're at like 67% right now. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a total um, probably around 30,000 left, I think, something like that. Um, yeah, not quite. And, um, but God's going to do it. How? I don't know. And a person has asked, well, what if he doesn't? You know what? That's up to God. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, there's, there, there's no pressure. I'm doing what I can in the midst of COVID. And uh, God's done amazing things. Um, so there's no, yeah. No Canada just has done well with COVID, but Canada is very, very strict. Yes. When we first came home, you weren't allowed to cross provincial borders. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, we flew into Nova Scotia, and that's where we were planning on being anyways. And then they opened up what they called the Atlantic bubble. So your four eastern provinces became a bubble, and you were able to travel freely. Well, they've closed that down. And New Brunswick, they've zoned off into different zones. And so they have colors representing different things. And we're in the yellow zone. But all of our family, like my mom, my uh, brother, his family, sister, his brother, they're all in the orange zone. So technically, you're not supposed to go into the orange zone and nobody in the orange zone is supposed to come out because they have more COVID. So services are non-existent right now. And so it's, it's pretty strict and it's hard to move around. Yes. But God has been, uh, God has been a blessing God like he always is. Well, I would, I would say as much as we like to, uh, we, we, and you all know this, so forgive us. We, you're, we're going to get into heaven by the grace of God because of this. As much as we in the United States like to make fun of our Canadian friends and, and all of that, we really should have acted more like you all. Uh, honestly, we really should have um, because we're getting our, um, well, we're, we're getting quite embarrassed by COVID. COVID is unimpressed by our American bravado. Uh, it's just not listening at all to all of that. It's just not impressed at all. Well, we were talking to some African missionaries and the ones in uh, Guinea. It's a certain country. A certain country. And the missionary said, don't worry, folks, just come here. COVID's completely over. <laughs> yeah. They told I, them I there's no COVID here. COVID's finished. Yeah, exactly. So, folks, what you want to do is as we get ready to turn to some questions and let you interact with the missionaries, I want you to pray, even as we're on the broadcast right here. You know how we do missionary services. This is a missionary service. I need you to pray. I am well aware that Sunday is our Christmas giving service. I'm well aware. Some pastors would never schedule a missionary 
three, four days before a big giving service. I think God knows how to balance his books. That's Amen. just how I think of it. And so if you'll pray, you should be praying already about what you're going to give in the Christmas giving service, which by the way, all of that goes into world missions in various ways. So none of it stays in our local church, but this is not competing. We don't have to compete. And uh, I'm with Nick and Pam. We trust God. If God doesn't know how to run his kingdom, right? Huh, we're not going to do any better than God. So we, we might as well just relax and trust and have faith. And so I want you to pray. And uh, if, you, if you're unable to use the digital giving, you know how to mail it to us, et cetera, and simply mark on the check or on the envelope that it's for the Cisco's, and uh, we'll make sure that it gets to them. So keep that in mind. All right. So I am the question guy. So I should have already told you to start popping questions at me so that I could throw them at you. So um, you've already answered one of them. Look at that. I'm ahead of the game, Pam. You must have been in the spirit. One of the questions was, has COVID put a crunch on your travel or deputation? Or have you traveled pretty freely in Canada? Look at that. We already took care of it, knocked it out. So the rest of you start putting in questions as we uh, move along in the broadcast. And um, any any updates on family or any other kind of catch-all that you guys want to kind of let the church know about in this transition? I, I mentioned already that Stephen is going with you. Alana's staying back, going to university. Uh, any other Big changes. Where are you going to be based, for example? Or do you not even know that yet in South Africa? Uh, well, everything is pretty fluid right now. Um, Alana is staying here for university, for sure. And Stephen will be in his 12th year. So a part of him would really like to remain here. Yes. Uh, and discontinue where he is. Uh, but I'm not sure he's quite ready for that. So... If he goes to South Africa, there's only two American curriculum schools in South Africa. Everything else goes by the British system. And you can't just jump in yes. on a totally different school system in the 12th year of school, right? That's right. So no, I, I know American that the British system is very different <laughs> than the American or yeah. English system, non-British system. Absolutely. All the way through university levels, British system right. is different. And so had, had we transferred, say, four years ago, no problem. You just go into the British system. But you can't do that in your senior year. No. It's impossible. And so COVID the, is probably affecting your timeline a little bit as well. Is COVID affecting somewhat the timeline of the specifics of when you go back? So we, well. A little bit, but. We have a tentative timeline now uh, after language studies. Then we have to do school admissions which is, ends like May 8th, then I'm going to take the lead in the middle of May. Go there, try to get, you know, find housing, a vehicle, all of that. And then in the summer, Pam and Steve can follow. After Stephen finishes school, which in Canada will be the end of June, then we would follow. And uh, yes, if, um, if he does school in, in South Africa, it'll be in Cape Town. There's two schools, Johannesburg and Cape Town. Uh, so we would go to Cape Town for his 12th year and then probably move up to Joburg when uh, he comes back to Canada. So that so he's would actually be... got two years left, the one that he's in now and then right. one yeah. more. Yes. Yeah. And so we're, we're basing in Fredericton, New Brunswick right now. So he's going to uh, grade 11 right here. And uh, we would just find by God's grace, a self-contained for a year 
So we really wouldn't settle, get him finished, come back here, get him settled. And then we put our roots down in Johannesburg. Got it. Excellent. So I had one question come in. This is an interesting one. Um, I won't name who it is on the broadcast because all of you will heckle this person, but do they wear yeah. suits in South Africa or is it too hot? <laughs> suits in some of the best suits you'll see anywhere in the world. Oh, there is no. amazing shopping in South Africa. <laughs> yes. If you, the person who asked this question, if you want to know where it's too hot, it's actually up in the neck of the woods that they're leaving. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I can bear testimony to that personally. That's why I do not bring any American suits over to Africa ever, period. I find clothes they wear, and that's what I wear. I won't wear a suit over there. No, I did once. I think I brought one over, and I ruined it. Yeah. I bring it home and get it washed or dry clean. We're really looking forward to the weather in South Africa because you're going to have uh, seasons where we've never really had seasons before. You know, they have a winter time, but their winter time is, you know, June, July. Yes. It's opposite, but they do, you know, you, you have to wear a coat. They'll get skiffs of ice and a little bit of snow and um, it's going to be really nice to enjoy. Yeah. Seasons again. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, another question is, is all of South Africa pretty urban or is part of it more rural? Is it a mix? It is so yeah. diverse and absolutely stunning uh, from the, metropolis area the urban area to the rural areas where they've got huge um farmlands yeah farmlands so, vineyards yeah. um mountains safari land oceans they have it all the mountains it's all there literally all right. so it's it's just diverse. what part you're there yep. what part of the country you're in but it's absolutely amazing all right another Although question we yeah. Right. We haven't seen much of it because, you know, when I go there, I'm going right into Johannesburg or Pretoria and I'm doing my training and I'm gone, you know, but looking at pictures and studying it now, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, do, does it have any cool animals? Yeah, it has the big five. Has <laughs> You know, safaris are awesome in South Africa. So the big five would be your five uh, biggest or fiercest animals in Africa. So that's your lion, your Cape buffalo, your elephant, your leopard, and giraffe. Uh, your what? giraffe, isn't it? <laughs> rhino? Did you say rhino? Yeah, the, no, it's the rhino. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so those are the big five. So the the rhino, the lion, the cape buffalo, the leopard, and uh, the brain just went blank. The elephant. Elephant, yeah. thank you. There we go. So yeah, but you've got them all there. And then you've got what is kind of interesting. They operate the same as wolves, but they're wild dogs, the African wild dogs. They have huge ears. They're patchy, um, pretty ugly looking, but yeah, they operate like wolves. They operate in packs and they're wild dogs. Interesting. They've got penguins. <laughs> penguins in south part of Africa. Yes, I've heard of that <laughs> yeah. as well. What's the cost of living like in compare there in comparison to say North America? 
and I know North America is broad. So pick a spot either in Canada, United States, something like that. But what's what's the cost of living like? Well, pre-COVID, it was definitely cheaper than Ghana, which is surprising. Um, probably because they have so much competition. You know, they have everything, all the restaurants, you know, um, malls. And so the eating and, and everything was so much cheaper than Ghana and uh, cheaper than here in Canada, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to discern, but it's a bit difficult. But I'm wanting to say kind of like light lifestyle economy in the Midwest. Okay. So, yeah. So it's like, it's not the exorbitant yet, but it's not, yeah, it's kind of like Midwest. And obviously larger urban cities, the price goes up. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Are there a lot of international uh, immigrants or immigration there? You know, we're seeing in the United States, all kinds of different immigration as far as people. So we, we, we already know kind of the story of South Africa, unfortunately, the historical story of that is is well known around the world in kind of a negative sense because of apartheid, etc. Um, now, you know, 20, 30 years on the other side of that, do you have do you have other? Is there a large population or large groups of people that are immigrating there from other areas of the world, or is it what what's the immigration situation there? It's it's really. Uh first of all, the melting pot for, for Africa, you know, because of the developments and that. Your, your four largest groups would be your Zulus, which would be the, the people of the land there, the natives. Then you have your Indians from India. You have your Afrikaans, or, you know, which would be your European descent. And you have your coloreds. So the so those are your four main, but there's a lot of different people coming in now, yeah, especially from all over Africa. You'll find all kinds of yeah. people there. However, with crime, um, you'll find a lot of people moving out as well. Out of South Africa? Out of South Africa, yeah. Interesting. We actually have a lot coming into Canada. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, what do you feel the biggest barrier you'll face thus far that you can tell as you're relocating your ministry, what you've done to South Africa from, from Ghana, what's the biggest, and maybe, maybe a better word is not just barrier, but maybe challenge. It's a great question. Because um, with any change or transition, there are challenges. What do you think the biggest right. one is thus far that you can, that you can identify? I think when we get there, and I think it's it's a very normal challenge that comes with such transitions, but it would be the time to just be faithful to the time to develop your voice of influence. Because in Ghana and West Africa, I had that. I We had the time, the voice of influence was there. Now going that takes time because that's built on trust and trust is built on relationships and relationships take time. And mm -hmm. so it, that would be probably the biggest challenge, but not in a negative way. It's right. very normal. Right. And right. It's, it's just a matter of process and time. Yeah. 
Yeah, and requires, it would seem to me, requires a, a level of patience. And that and that's why I really appreciated the discussion, uh, yeah. which I kind of led you in because we had discussions when we visited in Ghana with regard to this this process of how do you go in and and you start a work in a, in an in an an untapped country there's no work that has been done there or no presence that's been there that mode is one mode and then right. if you stay in that mode it actually i would argue takes you backwards as opposed to forwards you begin to tear down what you've built up and so there begins mm-hmm. a transition of 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 releasing leaders because it's one thing to train, train, mentor, mentor. And then there's a certain amount you got to get out of their way. And as you get out of their way, they get to learn from what you've taught, but also they get to learn from asking and they get to learn from mistakes. And all of those have to happen in order for there to grow that maturity. And so as that happens, that leads to the nationalized work. Well, then once you that nationalized work begins to get its legs under it and becomes more and more solid and then there's a whole nother mode that if somebody is coming in, you know, imagine church family, if somebody came and, and, and we don't think this way, but they felt to move to Newark and they felt to come to church here, but they, they had funding from some other place and, and they have a long leadership. The worst thing that would happen is for them to walk in and start telling everybody in Newark what they should do and how they should fix everything and what's wrong with the place, et cetera, et cetera. You all, including myself, would rise up in arms and say, go home. Where's your where do you get that kind of arrogance that you can walk in? We've been here a long time. Yeah. What do you know? Right. (laughs) Exactly. And, And they may well know something, but they have to build the relationship and the creed and the trust that we can hear what they have to say. And so I, I think that's, that's probably right. a, is that a fair assessment or a fair way to describe the, the challenge you have? Yeah, putting, Perfect. In, yeah. putting in the time of walking alongside kind of even more quiet than the future would be just listening and watching and learning. And, and, uh, and I will tell you that uh, Nick and Pam are, they are much better at that than I am known for. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Nick is a very careful man. And uh, I won't get into the whole story of how very carefully he worked and made sure that he felt it was okay to bring crazy Stephen Beardsley over to Ghana. <laughs> what he was going to do. Was great. And it did. It worked great. I didn't misbehave too bad. And even when I did, I did it in a way that was productive, I hope, I think. Yes. And, um, yeah. yeah. And so, so, but he's a very careful man. So you are, you are well suited, Nick, for, for this job. I'm excited about what's going to transpire in South Africa and uh, the forward progress. And uh, I have told several people that I am, I am now very clear on what I am. Anywhere that Nick Cisco invites me to go, I am to come in and I'm to cause a rumble so he doesn't have to. I go home and he gets to play peacemaker and sage wise man, take my name in vain, quietly and respectfully, but nonetheless, well, you know that Beardsley pushes things a little too far, but maybe <laughs> we should consider a little bit of what he had to say. And you know what, Nick, I'm good with that. I can go cause a rumble and go home and and let it work. No, I'm excited about what's I'm 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 tongue in cheek in a little bit and a little bit not. Um, but I'm excited about what's going to happen in South Africa with you. We're excited to continue to be partners with you. Um, Thank this, you. This has been a long and fruitful partnership, and uh, it's been a privilege of ours to 
get to work with you closer over the last year. And uh, well, let's see what unfolds with COVID and everything else over the next few years. Maybe we'll be headed to South Africa or partnering with you in other places in the South Central. And, and uh, I still, Regina and I, our heart, I don't know why, God love us, but we love the country of Nigeria. It's a crazy, <laughs> wacky place. The people have just grabbed our hearts. And we very much enjoyed Ghana. And uh, hopefully we can return there. But there's something special about Nigeria. And I don't know what it is. Don't know why. But we love we love that country. Awesome. Maybe maybe it's as wacky and crazy as I am. Maybe that's what the deal is. Maybe <laughs> there's a commonality of spirit there. So, folks, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Nick and Pam. They need your prayers. If you haven't heard it already, there's some big things in front of them. Learning another language and becoming proficient in that taking care of their children and their family. This is important in this time. This is transition. And I, hey, I'm in the middle of it. We just finished Marcus's application for the University of Delaware, three down, two to go. And it's transitions are hard. Imagine being a missionary. Imagine living across the world and you're making these transitions. Third is then going to a new country and just all that we've discussed there. And then all of the normal challenges of ministry. So I can't emphasize to anyone too much how much they need your prayers. And so we're asking you to do that. But I'm also asking you that you would pray and that you would ask God to direct you in your giving tonight. And I would ask you that as he speaks to you, that you give in faith and, um, and that you respond and let's be a part of uh, what God spoke to them. And we'll look forward to more reports and, uh, if I behave myself, I think Nick might invite me to go a few places and teach too, but I haven't made up my mind whether I want to behave myself. So I know for sure how to get disinvited. Now I just have to work on how to get invited. So we'll, we'll work on all of that. It's been awesome. Nick and Pam, thank you for having the time tonight with us. Glad it worked with the schedule. And uh, we're very proud of both of you. We're very honored to be partnering with you and uh, be sure and, continue to to walk in faith and we're know that you've got a church that's behind you not only monetarily but in in prayer as well as we bring the program to a close folks there's so much more we could have kept talking and talking and talking but we have reached an hour and in this new online format we try to be cognizant of time we are broadcasting six days a week tuesday through sunday and so you can find us here every single night at 7 p.m and uh, we hope that you'll come and join us again Again, you can find out information about us at newarkupc.info, and uh, there you can find all kinds of information, special events that are happening uh, in December for us, as well as how to join a small group. Critically important in this season during COVID, our physical campus is not currently open, and so connecting with the community is extremely important. And uh, you can submit prayer requests, baptism requests. We've done baptism several ways, one of them over Zoom. Can you believe that? I walk somebody through baptizing somebody over Zoom, and uh, God is doing good work in this season. You can partner with us in giving, and so go and check us out there, and so thank you. Thank you for being with us tonight. If it's your first time with us, we're honored to have you. Go check us out, and until tomorrow night, we'll see you at seven o'clock. God bless.